Hey, Rob Bradford here. I have set out on a mission with my good friends at FanDuel to prove what I have known for some time. Baseball isn't boring. Now I have a daily podcast to prove it with some of the most notable people in the baseball world screaming baseball isn't boring from the mountaintops or at least agreeing to come on our show. Players, managers, GMs, and yes, even the commissioner of baseball, Rob Manfred. It has been a constant wave of baseball's most powerful voices. So join the revolution. Subscribe and soak in baseball isn't boring. Listen on your Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. You'll be glad you did. It's Tuesday, and that means it's Hill Vets Day here on The Morning Briefing. The founder, CEO, Grand Muckety Muck, I think is one of the official titles of Hill Vets. Justin Brown joins us in studio for the first time in a couple weeks. You were ill last week. Are you yeah, feeling was, better now? was not feeling too fantastic. I tell happy, you, happy to be back. It's that veganism. Oh, here it goes. Here <laughs> goes. Yeah, that's, you know, it's what happens when all you're eating is like uh, a tomato vegans, every day. Vegans don't get sick, and when they do... It must be the diet. There it is. There it is. So we welcome Justin into the studio. Of course, Hill Vets, an organization that keeps an eye on the happenings around Capitol Hill, advocating for veterans and, more importantly, keeping veterans informed on the items that might help them. As you came into the studio, we just finished talking about this uh, this teacher in Pico, where, where sorry, where is a uh, Pico Rivera, California? Just lost my place there. Who basically disparaged the military uh, because a student of his wore a Marine Corps sweatshirt. Uh, the student said, "You know, I, I want to join the Marines because it's a, a family tradition. My uncles served in Vietnam. My my dad served in Afghanistan. Uh, it's something that I want to do." And he said, "Well, you know, if beating up your wife was a family tradition, would you continue that on?" Nice false equivalency there. A couple other things that I want to uh, to point out that he said. Ever surprised of anything coming out? out of Pico, California. Pico Rivera, California. Well, this is the first thing I remember coming out of it, so I guess not. I guess now I'll just expect this. Um, he talked about the Middle East, saying, we all have night vision goggles, all that kind of stuff, and we can't freaking control these dudes wearing robes and flip-flops because we have a bunch of dumb beeps over there. Wow. Also uh, reference military actions during the Vietnam War as fighting, quote, a bunch of people this freaking big throwing rice at us. Okay, that's what Vietnam was, I guess. We have the Vietnam Veteran, Memor- Vietnam Veteran Memorial Fund coming in later today. We'll have to see if they share that opinion on uh, the fighting people throwing rice at us in Vietnam. Uh, and then also, lastly, saying I don't understand why we let the military guys come over here and recruit you at school. We don't have pimps come into school. Wow, okay. So the military are no better than the common uh, street pimp. Yeah. It, it's interesting stuff, and it's it's... Thankfully, an opinion that I don't think is held by all that many people in this country, but this is a guy who served in elected office. He was the mayor of Pico Rivera three separate times. Currently, as along with being a teacher, serves on the city council. He's currently, though, on pace uh, on administrative leave pending the results of an investigation. But not all politicians feel that way about the military, as Justin's going to tell us today. In fact... Tonight's State of the Union, as we were talking about with Drake, with with Drake, yes, Drake, the famous Canadian rapper and star of uh, what was that Canadian show? The Do you remember the show that he was on? Oh man, no. he was a, he was on he was on a TV show in Canada. I don't know. Yeah, Degrassi, Degrassi High. There you go. So it's like a Canadian teen soap opera, not Drake. We were talking about it with Jake. Actually, the State of the Union going to be quite a few military members and veterans in attendance, including a transgender soldier who is who is the uh, uh, guest of a representative. We're going to have uh, the Marine who lost both legs and his sight and still reenlisted after that. All sorts of interesting uh, uh, military characters essentially going to be at the straight State of the Union address, including the first ever African-American uh, female cadet to lead the West Point Corps of Cadets up there. So yeah. good to see that. Yeah, you know, a great story. Right? Yeah. And there's a variety of people that are going to be at this milestone event. You know, the first State of the Union address for President Trump. A lot going on right now with memos maybe going to be released and 
things like that. But uh, good to see that people are keeping the uh, the military and the veteran community at the forefront, don't you think? Yeah, absolutely. And and we saw this trend really pick up, I'd say, probably about eight years ago when a number of members of Congress uh, started essentially. I mean, you only get one guest. Yeah. Right? So you get one one seat and uh uh, you know, there was a there was the idea that hey, we're gonna we're gonna share this with service members or veterans that are out there, and and we've seen that really pick up. So it's really great to see a lot of veterans service members get the opportunity to to be that one seat mm. of of you know that member of Congress and and go see the State of the Union. And I would much rather see any veteran there, no matter what their opinion is, than someone like, oh, I don't know, Cindy Sheehan, if you remember her when she was invited as a guest to stay right. in the union. And then I think crashed it a couple of times when she wasn't a guest. But there's a lot going on around D.C. and there's a lot going on with Hill Vets. In fact, I sure. want to get to a couple of the Hill Vets points first, because usually we leave them to the end. And sometimes I feel like we leave out some important things that are going on. The Hill Vets 100 it's essentially a program to recognize those who are doing work in the veteran community, uh, veterans who are doing great things. Tell us a little bit about the Hill Vets 100, and this is like the last week for people to nominate, right? It is, it is. So Hill Vets 100 is the preeminent award uh, ceremony for veterans, uh, really brings together the the core of the veteran community. So we have a lot of the large veteran groups uh, very involved, as well as a lot of the the new nonprofits who are in the space. For example, we've had Team Rubicon, Team Red, White, and Blue, Student Veterans of America, folks like that very involved as well. And what we try to do is really highlight the 100 veterans who really kicked butt in the previous year, if you will. So what 100 veterans did awesome work in 2017. It also includes service members and supporters. So technically you don't have to be a veteran, um, but if you did great work and, 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 you know, you're out there and you've seen somebody do great work for the veteran or military community and think that they should be highlighted, please get us their nominations. Um, we cover uh, the business community, the arts, uh, media, uh, government, politicians, et cetera. So it ends up being this big cross-section of 100 veterans, service members, and supporters that we highlight in a meaningful way. Try to get them all into the same room, and we think that that in itself is, a, is an excellent networking opportunity. And then we also try to bring back all of our alumni from previous years. So it ends up being a very big event. Right. Um, so the, the event itself is March 29th. That's going to be at the Chamber of Commerce right across the street from the White House. Uh, uh, former Secretary Chuck Hagel is the, the, the chair of our advisory board, and he'll, he'll be our primary host. We're, 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 we're waiting for the announcement on the MC, but that's forthcoming. So uh, yesterday we had a big announcement. Uh, we, we, we've uh, penned a deal with the Military Times, so you'll, oh, you'll wow. sue soon likely hear about the Hill Vets 100 at your local uh, uh, MWR or whatever it may yeah, be. Yeah, right. like the shop head or wherever. <laughs> we have all those, uh, the hard copies out there. That's right. So uh, we're really excited about that. But really what we're also going to work uh, to do with this is 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 really uh, look to highlight the 100 individuals in a very meaningful way and uh, also probably wrap in some, some video content stories, et cetera, that go out a little bit more broadly um, instead of it just being as it has in, in the past, you know, A, we've got the the 100, but we've also got uh, the event. Now we're going to have, a, a, I think, a little bit more story content as well. well as the 100, as well as the event. All sounds pretty good. And of course, the deadline, as you said, is this week. Is there a date that there is the deadline for? Yeah, Friday. Friday. So, Friday. so you got to get it in by this Friday, which I think is what, February 2nd or something like that. So sounds just, right. Just get it done by Friday. Yeah. Get it done today. Uh, where can people go to do that? Is there like a website where they can fill out the information? Or uh, Find us on Twitter, uh, hillvets.org, and you'll be able to find the link from there. 
There you go. We may share that out on ours to let people know about it. And in addition to that, you have the people who are doing great things for veterans and people who want to continue to do great things for veterans, particularly on Capitol Hill through the Hill Vets Fellowships, which is where you guys essentially, you're a man who's in the know in Washington, D.C. You know a lot of people. You talk to a lot of people. You bring in these Hill Vets Fellows and essentially show them the ropes here in D.C., right? That's right. We have the Hill Vets House Fellowship uh, where we bring veterans from across the country, place them on, house them here uh, right across the river uh, from D.C. And and that, that might sound far for, for some of you listeners, but it's literally right across the river. Yeah, the river's like right there. If <laughs> right. I turned around and looked out the window, well, there's buildings in the way, but in that general direction. That's right. So uh, we, we, we house them here, uh, place them on Capitol Hill, get them trained up to work in politics and policy, become maybe a legislative advocate. We've had a lot of our folks go to, say, the American Legion, continue working on Capitol Hill or go work for one of the federal agencies. But really it's a career transition. And, mm-hmm. and what we're doing is bringing, uh, you know, the best and brightest veterans from across the country, placing them on the Hill, getting them trained up to continue serving their nation in a meaningful way. So that's the Hill Vets House Fellowship. And we have actually two fellowships open right now. So if wow. you're interested in that, uh, please check us out, hillvets.org. Uh, find Hill Vets House on one of the drop-down links and check out the information and get your application in. And who are you looking for for those positions? I mean, are we looking for college graduates? Are we looking for somebody who just got out of the military? Is there like a baseline that someone needs to reach to, to think that they have a good chance of being selected for the, uh, the fellowship? Yeah, the majority of our folks either got out of the service, went and used their post-9-11 GI Bill, are finishing up with school and, and are looking for a career transition, or uh, they're military officers who have generally done a tour or two uh, getting out of the service and are looking for a transition. Uh, and and th- that's probably, I'd say, 75, 80% of our, right. of our incoming population. Well, if you're a veteran out there who's looking to make a difference politically, no matter which side of the aisle you would be on, Hillvets is doesn't discriminate. They're not just looking for the liberal veteran or the conservative veteran. Or uh, we actually have an interview coming up tomorrow with Nate Boyer, former Green Beret okay. and NFL football player, who calls himself part of the alt-middle, That's <laughs> which right. I like That's that right. terminology. So no matter which political side you happen to side with, Hillvets is looking to uh, to show you the ropes and give you kind of a it's kind of like a boot camp for for DC, right? To learn how things work, how best to go about them. I mean, just standing out in front of uh, Congress and screaming at the door is probably not the best way to go about things. So with, through this, you get to learn the uh, the actual ways to get things done. Yeah, I think that's right. I mean, we work pretty closely with the Library of Congress to get these veterans spun up on the appropriations process, the budget process, um, it, issues of special interest. Uh, and we also work to get them plugged into the network, right? So Hillvets is the network for veterans in D.C. government and politics. Uh, so just by going to our 20-plus events, I mean, you're really going to meet the veteran community who are in and around Washington, D.C. And that's an important component in terms of moving your career forward is, is having those contacts uh, here in the area. All right, now let's move on to the meat and potatoes, what sure. Hill Vets does, and that's discussing what's taking place on Capitol Hill as it relates to veterans. And one thing that we notice is that White House officials apparently have issued guidance to senators this week about revisiting negotiations on Department of Veterans Affairs health care reform. So what's this all about, and what is the guidance from the White House? Sure, so there, there was uh, recently legislation that was put forward by uh, Chairman Johnny Isaacson uh, you had a vote of 14 to 1. There was, I think, a lot of uh, veteran support and hope that uh, there was going to be some, some broad uh, VA health care reform passed. 
the secretary was really secretary of VA, uh, David Shulkin was really pushing for this to happen, uh, prior to the end of the year. Obviously that didn't happen. You ended up with a, a stopgap, if you will, uh, kind of kicking the can down the road. Um, but in kind of the ninth hour, there were, there were, I think some, some folks who were concerned, uh, with the state of the existing healthcare proposal, uh, groups like Concerned Veterans of America. Um, and then you had Senator Moran come out and essentially oppose the, the proposed legislative reform, calling essentially for, uh, I think, broader ability for uh, veterans to receive private sector health care without mm-hmm. VA intervention, if you will. Without having to go through much of the process of dealing with the VA, kind of cutting out the VA as middleman before getting to uh, the private sector, which, you know, there, as you said before, when you've appeared on the show, there are several plans out there, some of which uh, a little bit more legit than others, I would say, some sure. of which have an actual chance to go through, but really a variety of things. And, and the veteran health care issue, it's not just us where this is an issue. In fact, we just got a breaking news thing and this, who knows, this may play a part in veterans health care at some point eventually. Amazon. Uh-oh. Warren Buffett's Berkshire Hathaway and the New York Bank J.P. Morgan Chase have announced this morning they're teaming up to create a healthcare company, quote, free from profit-making incentives and constraints. That is some interesting news, and that's something that, hey, you know what? Never doubt Amazon on things like that's, this. I've learned that's, over Warren that's, Buffett. A, that's, that's pretty incredible. It's in the early stages, he's saying, but uh, that's Buffett who released the prepared statement today uh, calling the skyrocketing cost of healthcare in the U.S. the, quote, hungry tapeworm on the American economy and certainly within the veteran community as well. I mean, healthcare is expensive and veterans have uh, some unique healthcare issues. Of course, we have more uh, amputees per capita than any other group in the country, uh, more uh, instances of PTSD, of T. BIs and things like that. And there's got to be some way to deal with it. The issue is right now, we just don't have a lot of people in agreement on what the best way to go about it is, right? That's the challenge. I mean, I think what we have here is an ideological battle in terms of private versus public healthcare. Um, and, and, and the challenge with that fight is that there, uh, on one side, uh, there seems to be an argument that there's, there's, large concern that if we push more healthcare into the privatized system, that we're not going to be able to afford it. And so I think what the veteran groups are really looking for is, is, is balance. Uh, They want choice. They're okay with choice in terms of veterans, you know, in those instances where VA is unable to provide healthcare, being able to receive it close to home or, you know, if a a specialty care uh, doctor uh, cannot provide, you know, provided at the VA that they receive it from a different specialty care doctor and that they get reimbursed. I think the challenge becomes in, in, in looking at the, the good of the whole for a, lar- a lot of the large veteran groups is that if, if you just completely push it into the private sector healthcare, uh, into private sector healthcare, who's, who's going to pay for this? Because, right. because there seems to be no, uh, no information, no data that would indicate or suggest that in any way, shape or form is, everybody using private sec- sector healthcare, fee-for-service healthcare going to be in any way cheaper. And then the other concern is continuity of care. And, you know, we see VA trying to tackle this right now with the electronic healthcare record, but right now that kind of looks like a disaster. Yeah, it's not looking good. We've <laughs> talked about that in the past where it's like, well, this is going to be seamless, we were hearing, and then, okay, well, maybe there's going to be a couple seams, and okay, things are starting to come apart at the seams. Uh, it, it's It's... 
Uh, sadly, like too many VA programs get implemented where they're just issues from the start. Well, and that's the challenge. So right now you've got a system whereby, you know, sure the government's trying to set up a system whereby, of you know, a veteran goes to private sector specialty care appointment, receives their appointment. That information feeds back into a VA centralized system so that, you know, when they go to the VA for something else that it's, that it's seamless but that doesn't exist right now. And we're not even close. We're probably not even within 10 years is what a lot of the subject matter experts are saying. Right. And oh, by the way, it's going to be 10 to $20 billion. And oh, by the way, the people that we've given this contract, it's stalled right now. Yeah. It's, there's actually a stop, a, a, a stop work order in, in effect right now. Um, and it's going to be interesting to see what happens with uh, you know, this contract, with VA moving forward. And oh, by the way, DOD has stopped their side of this contract as well, which we were kind of looking to them to, to, to take the tip of the spear into the battle, if you will. Right. And the whole thing's kind of on pause. Yeah. And there's a lot on pause. And one of the ways is we're talking about uh, the VA healthcare bills, the various bills out there trying to figure out how we improve VA healthcare, how we fund it with Justin Brown, the founder of Hill Vets. One of the things that they're talking about for cutting costs, lessen the cost, is not going to be popular with uh, a significant number of people, including organizations like DAV. It's one of their big uh, pushes is to get caregiver benefits extended to people from previous to September 11th, 2001. If you were injured on September 10th, 2001, you are not eligible for the same benefits that you would be if you were injured on September 11th, 2001. And that goes for Vietnam veterans. That goes for Gulf War One veterans. Um that's not going to be popular with that segment of people, but if it comes down to it, do you think that they might actually cut that provision that says, hey, let's extend the benefits just uh, for the money that it would save, even though it, it doesn't look good, particularly when you consider the global war on terror? Uh, you could say September 11th was the start date, but I, when I was in boot camp in 98, we had embassies bombed in Africa by Al-Qaeda. This is something that's been going on for quite a while longer than 17 years, if you really look at it. That's right. What do you think the chances are that they actually cut that, that new provision saying, let's extend uh, the caregiver benefits? Well, the costs are high. So anytime you're looking at legislation and you're looking for compromise and, way to, and ways to, to pass something, uh, anything where costs are high or frankly generally considered or considered to be on the table if they're not the specific issue at hand that you're trying to tackle. Uh, so I think it depends. Um, and where it will depend is uh, in the deal-making. Uh, you know, how important is that caregiver provision in terms of passing the overall package or can the senators and, and, you know, ultimately the house as well, potentially if there are enough changes come to agreement with regards to what is or isn't included in the overall package. So, you know, I don't know. I, I, I think that with the veteran community right now, the broad veteran service organization community, right. I mean, I think they're going to have a pretty tough time, uh, swallowing the idea of, of, of veterans just being able to go and, and receive privatized health care uh, wherever they want without regard to the overall health of the VA community because I think they're astute to know that you know, maintaining the integrity of the, the overall VA health care system is probably in the, the best good for the most veterans for the longest period of time. And so I think that those are some of the the tough calls that are going to be considered and, and there might be some balancing of, um, you know, what provisions, uh, turn into a compromise while also kind of holding caregivers 
over here, you know, saying, well, this is really expensive. What are you willing to give on this side? Yeah. Um, you know, and you might be, you might be kind of, uh, taking some, 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 some short order positive to, you know, really, I think have some potentially harmful long-term effects in mm. terms of overall VA healthcare for the long term. There are a lot of interesting things taking place out there in regards to the veteran world. And you were talking about the electronic healthcare records. There's apparently going to be a hearing today on electronic healthcare records as they relate to the Coast Guard, who apparently had a contract and two years ago were supposed to switch over to uh, this form of electronic healthcare records called Epic. Well, that hasn't happened. They're still dealing with ink and paper, essentially, putting it through the typewriter or printing it off the computer or whatever. Uh, what can you tell us about that hearing and what it might mean for the grand scheme of things when it comes to electronic healthcare records? Yeah, I think there right now is a general frustration on Capitol Hill in terms of the notion of electronic healthcare records and government and this idea of interoperability, meaning these systems being able to talk to one another um, and then, you know, in general, the the contracts that are going to, um, whether it be government and some other cases, you know, we just talked about Cerner in Vancouver and, you know, you had an official there saying it was, you know, just uh, not, a problem. Yeah, it was a problem. <laughs> um, you know, and now you have, you know, DOD and Cerner or MHS Genesis, uh, you know, that, 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 that being paused, you have VA putting in a, a stop work order um, because, they couldn't come to agreement in terms of what the term interoperability means. Um, you have the Ways and Means Committee, uh, a committee on Capitol Hill, uh, nine uh, 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 bipartisan members of Congress coming together, uh, creating a forum on this concept of interoperability. So at the end of the day, what this all really means is there's frustration. There's frustration with the idea of creating a seamless electronic health care record um, getting all the people who are working on this in various companies and, and, and making a lot of money mm -hmm. and then these big, big government contracts. But at the end of the day, uh, I think the outcome is really where the, the frustration is growing. The time, the amount of money, and I think the lack of quality outcome. It seems to me like this issue of uh, healthcare records and trying to, as you said, have interoperability, go from DOD to VA seamlessly. It seems like there was someone brought up the question, like, how do we fix this? And the answer was computers. Right. All right. Well, how with the computers? In a very computery way. Like they just, they figured that the technology was the answer and the plan that has essentially been come up with by these companies they've contracted with uh, hasn't up to this point anyway uh, worked out all that well so we'll see if it does we're finishing up here only a couple minutes left so a couple quick hits first one hearing on veterans appeals today now there are some people who've been in the appeals process for over a decade they're working to kind of shorten that by oh you know a few years or so at the very least what's going to happen in this uh, hearing on veterans appeals today do you think so I think this is in general going to be a, an update with regards to where VA and the Board of Veterans Appeals uh, is at with regards to legislation that was passed into law at the beginning of last year. This was one of the first bills, veteran bills, uh, that the president uh, signed into law, uh, signed it into law actually at the American Legion's uh, National Convention. I believe it was in Reno, Nevada. Yeah, I think it was. Yeah. And um you know, this was this was uh, something that was a long time in the works. I, in fact, I worked on this 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 reform for about four years. And the the long the, the long and the short of it is, you have veterans waiting incredibly too long. Uh, you have an incredibly complex 
appeals and claims process. You know, veterans don't sign up, you know, trying to get benefits, expecting it to be a life choice. Uh, you know, they want a fair and timely decision. So I think what you have here is in general, it's going to be an update on where VA is with regards to implementing uh, the new law that was passed last year and, and hopes to streamline some of these, these uh, uh, pro- processes for veterans. And of course, as we finish up with Hill Vets, you talked about your get-togethers earlier and your events that you have. You have one taking place this Thursday, and it looks like it's going to be a pretty fun one. Tell us briefly about it as we finish up here. That's right. Uh, Hill Vets Happy Hour, we're going to be at Kelly's Irish Times on Capitol Hill. It's going to be Thursday. Kicks off at 5.30. 5.30 p.m., not yeah. in the morning. Not in the morning. morning. a little early for happy hour. That's well, right. For most people anyway. All right, and if people want to find out more about Hill Vets, where do they go? Check us out at hillvets.org or find us at Twitter at hillvets. Hey, Rob Bradford here. I have set out on a mission with my good friends at FanDuel to prove what I have known for some time. Baseball isn't boring. Now I have a daily podcast to prove it with some of the most notable people in the baseball world screaming baseball isn't boring from the mountaintops or at least agreeing to come on our show. Players, managers, GMs, and yes, even the commissioner of baseball, Rob Manfred. It has been a constant wave of baseball's most powerful voices. So join the revolution. Subscribe and soak in baseball isn't boring. Listen on your Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcast. You'll be glad you did.